0: You say, we don't know. We
1: say, we don't
2: know. We say, Trek This Out. Hello and welcome to Trek This Out, your hopefully favourite Star Trek podcast. Um, tonight, um, I, Lindsay, am um, joined by the lovely Andrea. Say hello. Hello. Um, the usually lovely Suki.
1: <laughs> Pardon? What? Eh? What? Eh? Hello.
2: And tonight we are joined as a special treat by the lovely Albie. Hello, Albie. How are you?
3: Hello. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.
2: You are very, very welcome. So before we go to Star Trek news, of which I I at least have one piece that I need to share with the world, um, let's have a quick introduction. Albie, tell us a little bit about you and your Star Trek backstory um, in as much or as little detail as you would like.
3: <laughs> sure. Um. Well, I've been a lifelong Trekkie. Um, I have brother who's quite a bit older than me who kind of was watching it as I was growing up so I picked it up by osmosis and actually ended up becoming more of a Trekkie than he did Um, and you know I grew up in the TNG era so I remember kind of running home from school you know to catch it on Sky at five o'clock in the evening and um, you know I absolutely loved it. Um, Didn't understand a lot of it back then as a kid but now you know later in life you start to see the layers that are there Um, and yeah I've, I've remained a Trekkie ever since I've actually worked in the entertainment business kind of driven there by Trek so I've worked for film studios and um, uh, you know got to work on some films and franchises and stuff like that and that was very much driven I, I'm as fascinated by the behind the scenes stuff as as well as you know what happens on camera so um, yeah so that's me love Trek love all the incarnations I don't you know ascribe to this new Trek classic Trek stuff that does the rounds on Twitter and I'm generally quite positive and feel like we're in you know sort of a real golden era of Trek at the moment so very happy to be here and to be talking about it.
2: Fantastic well you are very very welcome. Um, Now you were brought uh, into the fold by the lovely Sarah who is one of the hosts on our sister podcast which is the Davis Flyer Logs uh, who are have covered the entirety the entirety of Prodigy 1.0 whatever, we're calling it the first part of Star Trek prodigy prodigy, and are now working through an assorted list of things that, that we, slash I, um, have curated for them. Um, so how do you know Sarah? How does that all kind of tie in? Uh,
3: so Sarah and I met each other through um, a mutual friend, which is Sean Ferrick, who I think everyone on, on Trek Twitter will know. Um, Sean and I became friends over lockdown And I'd seen Sarah on the Twitter sphere and Sean was like, you should really talk to her. She's really lovely. Um, And we just started chatting and went from there. And then we were both at Destination Star Trek um, last year. Um and we just really, really hit it off um over a few glasses of wine and by the end of the weekend we were up on the dance floor doing the dirty dancing lift and all sorts of fun stuff. So um since then Sarah I count as one of my very good friends. Um and you know I was really delighted when she reached out to ask me to to come and join you guys.
1: I
2: am so delighted by
1: that because we like love pictures. Sarah. Yeah, we do love Sarah. We also like pictures. I'm sure that somebody
3: must have taken of you, of Sarah being lifted by you. Or was it the Uh, other way around? Not quite. I'm not sure we actually managed to pull it off. I think in her slightly um, inebriated state, we thought we were absolutely smashing it. But I think we might have just been, you know, looking like two floundering fools up on the dance floor. But there were definitely some photos for that night. I'll see if I can dig out something and uh, share a few behind the scenes.
2: (laughs) You know what? If you enjoyed yourselves, that is what matters. These are the things we care about.
3: And and we did it in Star Trek uniform, so, you know, that just makes it... <laughs> Even better.
2: Even better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you so much for being here, and we are very excited. Um, Star Trek news. Does anybody else have any Star Trek news for the week?
4: Well, I, I don't think it's news as such, but see, I know I've been absentee for a couple of weeks, so I, I needed some R&R, um, and I'm feeling a lot better now. Um and I, I'm I'm sure it's it's been well and truly discussed, but like I just want to express my disappointment and disgust about what's happened with Destination Star Trek. Um, obviously, I'm the the convention goer on the podcast, and it's usually me who's saying, "Oh, this guest's coming, and I'm going to this, and I'm going to be at this, and I'm really excited about it." Um, and yeah, I was pretty cured by that news, so um, I'm kind of deciding if I'm I'm going to be at LFCC or not. Um, I don't know, um, it is the answer at the moment But yeah, I think sort of that collective sigh That kind of went round all sort of Trekkies on social media It was very much shared by me um, So if you are going to be at LFCC, LFCC Please get in touch um, And we'll we'll maybe see if we can get a Trekkie contingent there Socky
1: What is LFCC? Is that Liverpool Football Club convention? No, it's As nothing. in my, my scarf at the back here
4: Why would I go to that? I don't know, I thought you are a secret Liverpool fan London Film and Comic Con Cool um, Which is going to have some sort of sideline Star Trek thingy which is we've taken your money so we're going to give you some scraps Um, I have many many controversial views on this but I'm going to shut up now because it will just turn into an angry rant and I've got wine
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To be fair, I was quite angry on your behalf when we heard the news. (laughs) (laughs) Albie, were you hoping to be there this year as well?
3: I was. I had half of the Ibis Hotel next to the convention centre booked for myself and friends. So, um, yeah, I was pretty gutted. Um, Yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it, really? And it was just kind of another blow for, for Trekkies in the UK, just in terms of, it feels just like we're we're being left out and looked over an awful lot, but um, I'm not going to go to LFCC. I've decided out of principle, I think more than anything, but um uh hoping that, you know, there'll be something else worth going to um, at some point. But uh, yeah, I was pretty, pretty good at it as well. I
2: think that's fair. I think, a little while ago, possibly in the wake of the last Discovery news, or possibly when we weren't getting prodigy or something, I started. I started. I tried to start a hashtag, which was like the United Federation of North America, because um, it sometimes feels like like the Paramount haven't quite remembered that this is a global franchise and this is no longer the nineteen nineties. We're not willing just to sit and wait for things to arrive like we'll pay a subscription fee but you need to let us have it when it's ready um however deep breaths deep
4: but breaths. like it's not like the 1990s like the early 90s where you could go and like or the late 80s where you could go and rent like copies of like star trek episodes from blockbuster because blockbuster shut so <laughs> there's not even that route um that is how i watch the uh the, the sort of the pilot episode of TNG I'm on VHS from Blockbuster
2: Video—that is how old I am. <laughs> we no longer live in a world where by spoilers are less of a thing. Like spoilers are such a huge thing that it is almost impossible, even if everybody is very respectful and hashtags things, and you block it, it's almost impossible to live without spoilers these days. Particularly yeah. for something that is as fan-driven as as Star Trek, or I'm assuming people. I assume people who follow Star Wars have similar issues. However, um, on a slightly lighter news note, has everybody seen the Voyager in the style of TAS clip that is doing the rounds? Uh, I think so, Albie, you may not know this. I am a huge Voyager fan. I am not a huge original series slash animated series fan. But I think it is possibly the funniest thing I've seen in years. I <laughs> Genuinely. And the fact that they chose that particular part of that particular episode to do is just delightful.
3: Agreed. I actually watched it just before I came on to record this. Um, so, yeah, I was in hysterics. Just the the subtle little things they do, like, you know, casually replace, replacing the human helms person with, you know, an alien from animated series, or having a random Andorian on the way to him, I just loved it. It was so funny, and it just makes you realize how utterly daft that episode is when you see it done like that. Um, but yeah, no, I really—I I don't really know what
2: you mean. That's one of the greatest episodes of Star Trek ever created. <laughs> I will, I will hear no bad things about. I, I
3: really, I really hope that Lord X at some point go back to those salamander babies and rescue them <laughs> and give them a whole like second lease of life. Um, it feels like one of the 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 most kind of forgotten about plot lines of all Trek.
2: It's made even worse by the fact that it's not even a one and throwaway line. Cause like Jamie and Paris have a conversation about it. Like when they're returned to themselves, they're like, so we had kids. That's the thing. <laughs> Where are the children? Justice for the salamander babies. Um, Suki.
1: Well, I, I'm just going to let you know, I've started to rewatch the anim- animated series in the last few days so i started he- with the first yeah i did honestly uh so i've just gone into it first two episodes i watched was I uh, far from the i can not know which one it was but, and then the second one was yesteryear yesteryear was great i loved yesteryear with a uh, spot going back using the guardian and then uh, trying to figure out why he's been erased from history it was a lovely episode that one was
4: I am of course plowing through my um I haven't finished Deep Space Night. I'm under season two of my Voyager rewatch. Um I feel like plowing is a very negative word. <laughs> I've gotta be honest, I have some quite quite violent thoughts about Neelix at the moment. Um I'm hoping I might like soften as time goes on. But yeah, I'm like kind of like, ooh, this is really, really uncomfortable. Um so yeah, uh I, I thoughts on that.
2: So I think I think we should be frank and fair and say that Andrew and I have had conversations about Neelix and the inappropriate of, in, inappropriateness of Neelix and Kez's relationship, which I think even the most strident of Voyager fans will acknowledge is creepy and unnatural and kind of wrong. Um, however, I like I I do think that Neelix, if you take that particular plot, um. Or a character trait out of Neelix he becomes much more interesting as time goes on um, however not everybody feels that way and some people have a very visceral reaction I'm telling this because like Albie is sitting there and his face is making emotions for me tell me your thoughts Albie
3: so um I've had this conversation many a time with with Trekkie friends um, um yeah early seasons Neelix not a of um but and um, you know I think once they sort of found that dynamic between him and Tuvok in the later seasons, that was less sort of um, Laurel and Hardy and a bit more like kind of grudging mutual respect, which was a bit more like Odo and Quark, I think, on Deep Space Nine. That's when it started to work for me. Um, But
0: yeah,
3: I I, I didn't mind him so much. Yeah.
2: I think you played an important role in when Seven is introduced and particularly with Naomi and Seven, and I think like, I think he has a place, and I think he, he earns his place, but yes, I will totally agree that Kez and Kez's relationship is a problem with lots of capital letters. Agreed. Fabulous. Does anybody have any other structure or Star Trek adjacent news they would like to share before we continue? Okay. So uh, let's just move on to this week's episode, which is... Uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Season 1, Episode 6, don't know how that's happened. Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. Very long episode title. Anyway, um, it is however in English, which not all of the Discovery ones are, so I'm grateful for that. Um, let's have a trailer.
3: Let's go meet our guests. Hi. You know her? Your new uniform is very yellow. Let's gold, technically, because I'm um, <laughs> a captain. The first servant is a holy child. Everyone on Majalis is his family. I bet I could generate my own subspace frequency.
0: That would be an impressive feat.
3: The boy is in great danger. There's no one I can trust. Red Lord. What
0: the hell is going on? If the first servant doesn't ascend, we'll be destroyed.
2: So that was uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds episode Season 1, Episode 6, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. And um, so the way that we start is by giving our first impressions. So um, because Suki gets carried away, I usually give him like a 10 word limit, 10 words or two sentences. What are your initial thoughts or your general feelings about this episode? Um, I'll let the others go first, Albie, so you get a kind of sense. And Andrea, tell me what your initial thoughts are on this episode.
4: Well, I I feel kind of bad because I've been missing for a few weeks. And to be honest, you've just had like weeks of me squealing like I love Strange New World. It is the best thing ever. I love Strange New World. It is the best thing ever. And I think this is one of the episodes that I probably like less than some of the others. Um, But I think it's I think in in general, I think it's been quite a light series. I think other than sort of land's kind of like gone memories and stuff like that, it's been kind of like it's been quite light content and i think probably as a as a whole season i think it needed something a bit darker um and i think we definitely got that something a bit less optimistic and happy ending and and everyone's resolved to to their contentment so so i I like the episode and probably not as much as some of the others but um i'm I'm still pretty positive i'm still i'm still pretty positive yeah
2: that's okay Uh, it's okay
4: i'd
1: like to know how how i'm gonna follow that Right, because that was quite, that was quite long, you know, you, you keep telling me and it off. was
2: mostly about but not the
1: long? episode. Okay, then. Yes, I think I'm quite in the boat, same boat as Andrew, actually. It's an episode that I, I, I liked for the content, but because it was a dark content, and the, the way it ended such, in such a downbeat way, I don't think I enjoyed
3: it as much as the others but it does linger in your mind.
2: Okay, how are you feeling?
3: Um, I, I think I, I agree with what's been said already. I, I really liked it and I kind of, it stuck with me afterwards and I was thinking about it, which, you know, is the sign of a good Trek episode, I think. It was particularly because I rewatched um, Spock Amok last, last <laughs> week's episode before this. And there's such a uh, stylistic change That it's a little bit of a shock to the system um going from kind of the the humorous episode into this um but there were elements of it that felt like a really classic sort of tng style episode um but yeah that ending that that hits it where it hurts definitely
2: i'm gonna say i am also in a similar boat in that i enjoyed this less than i enjoyed some other episodes i think for me some of the struggle is the I think in my head, Pike had become the ideal version of what I would have liked Kirk to be, and then he randomly slept with an alien um <laughs> <laughs> However, we are going to come back to this in more details. Uh, okay, okay. So let's start our in-depth review with whatever it is Andrea is bursting out of her chair to say. Andrea, tell me. Tell me
4: I'm, your thoughts. Um I'm, I'm just want to take umbrage with the fact that like Pike just randomly slept with an alien because I felt like they these kind of slipped in some backstory there. There was an existing relationship. It wasn't like they're just like you beamed aboard and you're He's like met her once. <laughs> yeah, That's not I, like I, I, I got the impression they had a bit of a thingy in the past. It wasn't just like out the transporter into the captain's arms. I felt there was a little bit more development than that. Like It wasn't like a full-on, like, Kirk gets lucky after 30 seconds. It wasn't that bad. Lindsay? He
2: has a relationship, though. We've seen Pike in a relationship. He has an ongoing relationship with a female captain. So are well, we now thinking that captains who have casual sex is now like the way forward
4: well are they in a relationship or is it just friends with benefits i don't think it was really like it ex- wasn't clarified or maybe like he's all right like he's allowed a bit on the side like i don't know we don't know their business
3: i appreciated that they at least tried to make it like there is some bit of backstory to it um but you know i've got yes the the other captain from episode one And also, what about poor You know, she's still knocking around as well. Um, So, yeah. uh, But saying that, you know, it didn't offend me greatly, I would say.
4: I I did feel like that storyline was partially a vehicle for some shirtless pike. And sorry, not sorry. That's fine. They can do that every week and I'll be perfectly happy. Like, that's okay. (laughs) That's all good. (laughs)
2: if you want a vehicle for shirtless Pike all you need is for him to get a calm call in the middle of the night as Voyager proves regularly when they show Janeway in a silky nightgown um, like all you need is for somebody for him to be at rest and off to say and for somebody to send him to, to, to call him I think I think what it was is it was a vehicle for Pike to be involved in this storyline in general like I think it's such and that I think is very frustrating because it's an old trope it's you know it's Captain has more intimate relations/slash closer friendship with leader of alien world than they probably ought to. Turns out, leader of alien world isn't really who we think they are, and is doing things they shouldn't maybe be doing, or based on human morality, we don't think they should be doing. Um, and then it gets awkward because who intervenes and who doesn't intervene? Like, I think I just think we've been there before, and it feels dated to me, Andrea.
4: I don't feel we've really apart from sort of episode one I don't feel we've really had a lot of like sort of pipe centric storylines so this is the first time we've kind of gone back to that um, and that, I suppose it kind of throws him really into that mix and on a personal level so, so I, th- I think it served a, a wider kind of story purpose
2: shall we start at the beginning of the episode and try and give us some degree of overview so they are out doing what they're doing so we have historically discussed on this episode whether this whether this version of the enterprise and this crew are out on a five-year mission i think i'm increasingly convinced they're not because they keep getting specific things to do and are out like to go and do this one thing does that make sense
1: yeah, so they're getting missions from, say, Starbase 1 or whatever whatever that, uh, uh, Commander April, Admiral April uh, is at. So they're getting missions from there, going off to do something uh, which they can do and then they come back to the Starbase, I think. That's what I think they're yeah, doing. They're cause... not going and just going uh, exploding like an ocean somewhere. They're going just, for, uh, just as far as they can, then coming straight back.
2: Because we've now seen them be like, out replacing a thing, an atmospheric conver- atmospheric converter or whatever, and this time they were out busy doing something else instead. Um, so we see that uh, Uhuru is now on her uh, security element of her rotation, um, which appears to be going maybe slightly less well than some of her other rotations, possibly because, as previously discussed on this podcast, La'an, she's not, you know, your ideal member of senior crew, maybe? Does anybody have any feelings on Uhuru and her security in detail? I'll be.
3: Uh, well, first off, I think Lan and Malcolm Reed would get on like a house on fire because the same kind Thank of... You.
2: of Thank
3: you. thing uh, they've got going on. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, it was... I felt like that bit was a l- maybe a little bit hammy. And one thing that bothered me is, like, they've only been together this particular iteration of the crew for we assume a couple of months at this point yet everyone seems to know the security rules like she's gone through like a whole bunch of cadets already um so that didn't quite add up for me but it was definitely played for laughs um which you know I guess it was kind of funny it was just a bit on the the hammy side for me
2: like so so we spoke about the rotations and we had I, I had some queries about the rotations and we had some feedback suggesting that actually that's perfectly what you would expect within a military setting, even if you are very specifically there to do something, they're gonna make you try everything. Just fair. Um I had I just think like when she's like this is rule one and this is rule two and this is rule three. I was like, life doesn't work like that. And even where we've had people who have had a number of rules before, they never come up in order. Like, that's not how life works.
4: Andrea? I was just going to say, though, like, if anyone's seen the TOS episode, surely, Rye Jelly and Tigers are an actual risk and a threat. Like, it's a, it's a thing. And um, So she's almost, like, seeing the future there. So, like, maybe those rules aren't as, like, ridiculous as we think.
2: <laughs> I didn't say they were ridiculous. I just said that they probably wouldn't appear in order. And it's okay.
1: those. Those rules aren't actual legitimate rules, though, are they? They're just little things to make the cadets understand how they're supposed to be performing, I think. Yeah, I mean, you ain't going to... A Ragellant Tiger will pounce without warning. That's basically saying, just be aware of things. You're not going to get... Uh, you're going to get cornered by something, and you're just not going to see it coming. Uh, what's the other one? Let the tricorder do the investigating. That's That's just proper thing that's probably the, the the cadets the security officers have to be drummed into say look do around touching things so, you know anything could set anything off just use your the equipment that you've got there it's just things to be able to let like the cadets understand they're not proper proper rules it's just lessons and uh lindsay Right. <laughs>
2: She still numbered them in numerical order and they came up in the order that they came up in. I would also suggest that a tricorder could set off something as easily as a touch. Like people, like you gotta be careful. Like, you know, there's a reason why we're not allowed mobile phones in places and stuff. Andrea.
4: I was just gonna say there's a reason we're like generic female host one and generic female host two, because like I think there was nearly an error there, so yeah, it was being for um for later red shirt and action. <laughs> <laughs> I'm setting
1: up, my, uh, setting up my, uh, what should we call it, early here to make sure I get it.
2: He likes to compete well, does Okay, um, Okie doke. um So obviously there is the shuttle, there is a shuttle in distress. Because they're in distress, the Enterprise is duty bound to respond. The Enterprise responds, and Uhuru accidentally blows up the attacking shuttle
3: this cracked me up she was just basically like oops my bad let's move on and yeah that was that was quite funny because you know we've seen in other trek episodes just how horrified the crew are when something like that does happen but she was just like oops i'm sorry they moved and and and, uh it just happened and then they just like cracked on and moved on it was just kind of funny more
1: than anything yeah i think that I, I don't understand, actually, because you'll see a bit further on when uh, the other ship is destroyed a bit later on, the, the helmsman that's sitting next to uh, tigers, she's shocked as hell, whereas Uhura, yeah, as Albie says, she just seems to carry on and she seems to have forgotten that she might have killed a number of people on this uh, this vessel by accident, but she's killed a lot of people. Myself, like. is
2: there? She has killed several people. That's kind well, of a thing that happens. Um, Would
1: they could they have maybe transported off? So where? Down below on the planet. Were, no, because they were enemy combatants. Might be enemy combatants, anyway. well, they, but they they did have people that were working for them down below, uh, even part of the year uh, the guards, the actual guards, albeit
3: bit albeit. The only other point I'd make on that is like the ship crash landed and nobody thought to check if it was crashing on a, a populated area or anything. <laughs> it was just like, oh, it's got crash land. And let's move on.
2: felt very much like a plot device to me, which is because it was and just kind of okay. So anyway, there is this, the 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 ship that was under attack they you know they go and they they, uh, they transport the people across and all the people that transport across is a inverted commas holy child. did anybody else's alarm bells go off as soon as you heard the words? holy child I was like well that's the episode of the week isn't it (laughs) um I I will admit openly that I went well clearly the people who were trying to rescue him are like actually his family or something and are trying to stop whatever is about to happen to him because it's clearly of the not good now half of that was clearly wrong but the other half was clearly right because it was flagged I think or not flagged but it's a thing we've seen before Andrea
4: I felt very quickly that the fate of this child was pretty much nailed on. It was like, yeah, you signpost signposting quite heavily that he, you know, and they were talking about ascension, and so it's like, yeah, I know what's coming here. Like, why does nobody else like, you know, why isn't no one in the enterprise thinking that doesn't sound like a good ending for this young they man? I haven't watched
2: Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
4: Like, as soon as somebody says
2: ascension, you're thinking, well, <laughs> you're going to turn into a giant lizard and be killed by a, a troop of high
4: schoolers, uh, Andrea. So, I think the whole storyline for me, the first place I went to mentally was, was sort of Torchwood Children of Earth. Um, also, yeah. Uh, and I think, particularly as you saw the kind of like fried, like former, like. Me and child, being kind of, it was like yeah, someone's definitely seen Children of Earth, um, which if you haven't, I highly recommend. By the way, and I don't feel I've gone too spoilery there, but um, it was a, as far as I'm concerned, a fairly remarkable piece of television um, that did this story. arguably like, the,
2: bit, the best hmm? of Torchwood. I think. I it, think you can probably come into it dry. I think and still get quite a lot out of yes, it.
1: you will. You will. You can. As
2: long it, it, as you it, know who Captain Jack yeah. is, roughly.
4: Mm. It, it was pretty gripping I think and I think it did this type of story but probably did it a lot better but also had a lot more time for that to breathe and things but, but that was that was mentally where I went to was, so I was thinking yeah I can see where this is going and, and that's the direction I've got in my head and yeah it pretty much was
1: See I never went to that story I, I hadn't thought about it until you just mentioned it Andrew but uh, the one that I went to was a Doctor Who story for 1964 which was called The Aztecs which is all about uh, sacrifice. And you've got the first servant here who wants to willingly go and get, uh, do this thing. No, I don't think he really re- realises the repercussions of it, that he will be killed. I think he just thinks, that I'll do this. It's only when he sees a dead body, he thinks, oh, maybe I'm not going to survive this. But he still goes, does the actual thing. He does actually ascend, in quoted uh, whatever you'd like to say. But the Aztecs had the same sort of thing. Where they they, sh- they had they groomed the groomed they raised people uh, believing that they will be ascending to God and they that because they once they ascended they will actually um, bring peace and prosperity to the lands basically and so they would willingly sacrifice themselves in the, this Doctor Who story one of the companions stops the ascension but the actual uh, the Holy One the Prize Child. Decides I can't do this, and he has to jump off just as the eclipse is happening to make sure that the prophecy stays proper. But this is what that might. This reminded me of this story, uh, and yeah, this is why I'm, I'm uncomfortable about it really as well. Because you, you get you see many many things, but it's usually as an adult, a ch- uh, adult killing themselves, adult uh, doing the sacrifice. But having the child, that was something that I found really uncomfortable about this thing, Lindsay?
2: Star Trek has touched on this before. Like, we have had children sent out. We have had children sent out with an infection to kill the Borg. Like, we have had... There have been all sorts of weird and wonderful abuses of children in the Star Trek world. So this is not a novelty. For me, the real struggle in this the process of what this child was due to be was when we had um I forget what her name was, the female leader with whom Kirk, you know, Pike oh, slept. Um, Freudian slept there. Him when she's going, no, you don't understand. Our world's literally gonna fall out of the sky because this child is dead. And I'm like, interesting. Interesting. It's it was just I struggle a little when there is a clear understanding of technology that is so far advanced, but still this entire blind spot where only the one child who is dead, like this, yeah, it, it, oh, uh, uh, like, yeah. You know how to keep a planet, or yeah, anyway, never mind. Andrea.
4: I kind of feel like there's almost a, a sort of default like, standpoint where. Anything sort of it, I would say this is some sort of quasi-religious, but like anything, that I think Star Trek t- sort of standpoint typically is critical of of religious sort of belief, and and I think you know there was that kind of quite dismissive like attitude towards the shepherds, um, and I was like, oh, were they right or not um, at the end? But I, I feel like it kind of goes to that place anyway, so it's that natural extension, I think. To an extent I, I feel like one that that's the one group that star trek kind of thinking yeah well we can have a pop-up religion um and i'm not particularly religious myself but i, I think that is a bit of a go-to kind of that, that religion and science always have to clash
2: my my perspective on that which is somebody who is a bit more religious um was more about actually i quite like the fact that it encourages conversation and criticism of organized religion that is like you no, know, this is the way the truth is and we must not question anything and this is the way it's always been so this is the way it must always be which i don't think is a healthy part of organized religion and um, and i i'm quite encouraging of anything that stops and goes well actually would that always have happened how do we know that that wasn't the bigger plan like i like I, I don't dislike that i think this the issue with this is that the 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 population we have here are invested and we don't see anything really around that other than um i'm gonna find the name of this character because i can't keep referring to it as the woman kirk slava Um, laura
0: laura
2: laura and laura is like outside of that all we get is that this child has been raised for the good like to to care about the good of the people and that's like we don't get anything else from this other than this child is removed from its family, it is indoctrinated, and then we put them in this machine, and that is clearly not good religion.
1: <laughs> like I wouldn't
2: think that we would all accept that.
1: The child is hasn't been removed from his family. His father's still there. I mean, we don't know what's happened to but the mother. But it's
2: not his father. That's not who his he father is.
1: is. Like it. father. It's no. He's not father. his
2: biological father. It's
1: not. He's. It said so. It said so, right, right at the beginning.
2: No, oh, he said he was taken away from his career to be the father of the no. thing.
1: He says biologically when they beam onto the platform onto the air uh, transporter, uh, be backed me up because he was shaking his head. <laughs> but he beamed onto the air uh, transporter. Uh, he says, uh, "Are you the father, biologically speaking?" Yes, I am. And then they walk off. So he is okay. the father. That's why he's trying to save his own son. He's try, He's there trying yeah, to save but his, yeah, own but just son, does, his own son.
2: I, I don't think that saving his own son has got anything to do with it. I think it's the fact that he knows this
1: child has like, spent time with him. Well, like or should, no, like, no, no. I? think you've maybe, maybe you maybe have you, missed, you, you missed that line. I think you, as you've only watched it once, you might have missed that line there. But he, as the the first beam onto the transporter right at the beginning, uh, he does say, "I the uh, I think Una asks him, are you the father?" And he goes, "Yes, biologically speaking, I am." So that was. Why would his he son. say
2: biologically speaking if he's the father who's also raising him? Like that makes no sense. That's a poor lie.
1: Because that's the way it. this is the way for the plot to be able to develop. He's there trying to he, save his own. He then son. goes
2: on about the fact that he's been taken away from his role as a doctor to be the father figure to this thing. To this he's thing, not, to this holy child.
1: He, I think he's just he's been taken away from his role to be with his
3: son. I think that's what he's there. I'll I'll be, good. go ahead.
2: Yeah, clearly, clearly.
3: He you,
2: need he, to,
3: you need to wait in here. Yeah, he, 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 Suki's right. He does say, I am the father, biologically speaking. And then in bay, he talks about how he gave up his career and his only patient is now the first servant. So he specifically says that. And we're kind of led to, at least I took it, that he, when he says biologically speaking, it's because he's trying to create that distance because he knows where his son will ultimately end up. Um, but yeah, no, Suki's right on this one. I'm afraid.
2: <laughs> There's a first time for everything. No, um, I like. I okay, that's fine. I, I don't know that that really changes my interpretation of the, the the whole thing. But the principle is that this child is set apart and is given a very clear dest- destiny. And no matter how bright or intellectually, you know, curious they are. There is this path laid out for them. In fact, honestly, I think it it does change how I feel about it because I think the point that they are making about the person who is willing to break the rules means less if it's somebody's own son that they're doing that for. Like I I, I think for me it meant more as somebody who was an integral part of the process, who having got to know the child had suddenly gone, this doesn't feel right. Um, But that's maybe just me. Andrea.
4: So I think it was quite an interesting discussion about this idea of like, yes, you're horrified that this one child goes through this experience, um, but the willingness to look the other way around kind of poverty and things like that. Um, and I think that's kind of It's one of those instances of sort of science fiction kind of being a mirror to our own times. Um, but I think the response from, say, Card would have been very different because it would have been, well, there's no poverty in the Federation um, and we don't look the other way. But actually, if you scrape that back and think about the way that someone like Tasha Yar grew up, um, that was a pretty horrific existence for a child, um, which is happening in that same universe, but it's not in the Federation, so it's all right. So I think there's quite an interesting sort of dichotomy between the way they've kind of he kind of acknowledged that yeah there are kids living in really bad situations and maybe I'm not looking at that and TNG I think would have kind of gone well no that there's there's none of this in the federation um, but actually not very far removed from that that there are all of these horrible things happening so um, I, th- I found that quite interesting just in terms of how d- at different points in the show that conversation might have gone.
3: Uh, Yeah, I I agree. And the one thing that was in the back of my mind while watching all this was the, you know, the situation in America at the moment, with gun violence and kids essentially being sacrificed for ideals. And, you know, whether they, I don't think they were thinking about this when they wrote the episode, but it felt very timely in in that regard for me. So I agree, you know, I completely agree that it's, it's sort of that uncomfortable situation we live in right now and you know, we're 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 kind of blind to the thing that's right in front of us. Um and so from that point of view, like the episode has stayed with me a bit as well. And to I agree, you know, Picard, Jamie, any of the others would have said there isn't any poverty in in Stur- in the Federation. But you know, as um as Andrew's rightly pointed out, that's not the case. And we know that, right? So there's kind of that belief, and then there's what's actually happening, which is very similar and uncomfortable to what's going on right now. Lindsay?
2: I also think we have to acknowledge that uh, in order for us to have a variety of characters who have a variety of trauma in their background, which make them interesting, there are lots of people right the way through Star Trek who have had pretty rubbishy childhoods because they've had disengaged parents, because they've been orphaned, because for whatever reason. Because it turns out that our trials are part of what make us interesting, <laughs> awkward. Um, but I think that's, I think that's true of all Star Trek series. I think right the way through uh, the history. I, I think you're right. I there is a bit of me that wonders if in the previous golden era of Star Trek, if this was a TNG episode, would there would Riker have like ripped the child out of the machine? Would the, like would we have been allowed to see that happen and walk away? And I don't know that we would have. I feel like there would have needed to be some form of redemption or recovery or
1: rescue. Yeah, you're possibly right there. I mean, the, the only thing I could think of is TNG is Riker, as you says, or somebody taking him out. But then the whole planet being destroyed, and the, because they took the child out, and that would have uh, that would have gone. Well, there was your dilemma there. You, if you let the child there, you could have saved you know, you, you would have saved all these millions of people, but then because you, you took the child out and saved that one child and made it look good, the whole planet was destroyed because the child was needed to run that machine. I mean, why they needed a child's brain, I don't know, but go on. Uh, I think Andrea had her hand up first.
4: I was just going to say, I think see, he wants to be a red shirt, doesn't he? He just wants it. He him. really does. I was like, A, have in charge,
2: and B, that's not true. Anyway, Andrea.
4: Um, what I was going to say I felt like that was a, that was kind of the juncture where I was expecting Spock to have that needs of the many conversation and I was a bit disappointed we didn't get it because I felt like this is the ideal time for Spock to have that philosophical conversation with somebody and I was kind of waiting for it at the end it was like oh they didn't do that and I was a little bit disappointed because I felt like that was an ideal opportunity for, for that to be kind of introduced Lindsay yeah,
2: I think the other side of that is that what what Suki said is I don't think that's how it would have played in TNG at all I think how it would have played was that LaForge and Data would have found a solution Um, (laughs) I think somebody (laughs) would have come up with something that played the part of the child like I just think they would have fixed it like I think in the world of TNG yeah science would have ruled and they would have found a fix Albie
3: it's funny, I was thinking of a few episodes of it, you know, kind of going, oh, if this was TNG, they definitely would have done this. But actually in TNG, there has been moments like that. So I'm thinking specifically of the episode, The Outcast, where Riker falls in love with Soren, who's, you know, going against her planet's ideology. And there's the whole kind of, you know, be true to yourself. But at the end, she chooses her destiny. And I feel like we got a little bit of that from from the child in this episode of him going to his fate, sort of, and accepting it. As uncomfortable as that is, um, if he was offered the chance to be rescued, would he? Um, which is why Why did he send that message when he was hiding in the crate, you know? Um, he could have just stayed quiet and been okay. Um, so, so there's that element in my head as well.
4: Yeah, of course, Andrea. I, I was just gonna say, I, I think the episode title's Half Alive as well in TNG. Um, where it's that like kind of uh, that decision making process and like actually like this is this is how I want this to play out and that's like I love that episode it's like a real kind of like gut wrencher um, but it works really well because it is about that sort of personal choice and autonomy I suppose Um, no matter how kind of difficult that is for other people to kind of to, to, to sort of cope with
2: building on what Avi was saying said, you're right and, and so not only does he allow himself to be found, he then goes no I need to get to the planet because this thing is happening and I need to be there Like this child has an, a, a considerable and acknowledgeable an dedication to what needs to happen but there is a moment and there is a very clear moment during the ceremony where he sees this burnt up husk of another child mm. and is clearly terrified now, I think if you'd asked him in that moment, he would have been like, "No, please help now i I think there's a real struggle because I think this child has been indoctrinated <laughs> into believing that this is a sacrifice that they are making for the good of their people because in order for their world to continue turning, they need somebody to do this i I really struggle to understand now they I don't feel like they got there at the end of the episode where you get to the point where you go this isn't this is a culture that is not ours it is not one that we have responsibility for we cannot force these people to do this thing that we think is you know we, we can't force them to to all decant to this other planet we can't we can't do this because that is not within our power like they don't get to that at the end of the episode for me all that happens is this horrific thing happens and then they sort of shrug and go oh Okay. Like, I I just didn't feel like the ending landed at all in any way justifiably because I don't think you can say that a six-year-old child, and we have to assume, because we are not told that they age differently or that, you know, anything else happens, we have to assume that this is a six or an eight-year-old child has made this choice voluntarily and therefore it's okay. Like, I don't think that's okay and I don't think Star Trek can convince us it's okay. Andrea? Andrea?
4: It felt a little bit like, as well, like, these people clearly knew, like, yeah, we can't join the Federation because they're going to look quite dimly on this thing that's happening. Like, almost like that awareness, like, these people ain't going to be too impressed with this practice in our sort of culture and society. But then she's like, yeah, I really want Pike to come and see this. And it's like, why? Mm. Like, why have you brought him along for this? Like, what are you... Are you want like if she if she'd like turned out to be like one of the ones who wanted to stop it, and she brought him along to kind of help her out with that. I would have thought, yeah, that makes sense. But I don't know why she like went. Yeah, I'm just going to show you this really awful thing that you can do nothing about, and then say bye. It seemed like an odd choice.
2: She's okay. so self-deluded that she believes that this is okay. That I suppose is the only justification. It's okay. Yeah, they've
1: just had an intense couple of days together, having that and they and he's they're both recording how they were together 10 years ago and so there's that intensity there between them so a bit of infatuation perhaps or maybe on both of them and it needs the crew to get into pike said to be able to stop him uh doing something uh ridiculous maybe uh but on Alora's side she's probably thinking this this is a chap that i could possibly Help save few, his future down the line, but at the same time, I quite like him. I'm quite. I want him to understand what we're doing here, and if I can have a relationship with him, so I want need to to be honest straight from the uh, straight from the off, basically. And this is prob- possibly why she's gone and asked him to come into that inner chamber where the child is connected up to the machinery, because she knows if she doesn't tell him, I mean, it's backfired. Obviously, it's backfired horribly for her. Uh, but she didn't tell him straight off the, from the off. it just nagged if, uh, if they want to continue this long-term uh, on a long-term relationship.
2: I don't know. I, I think I think for plot reasons is really <laughs> the only kind of real justification. I think I, I think maybe she genuinely does believe this is the right thing, and she hopes that having forged a relationship with somebody, they will help other people to see that it is the right
1: thing like I she, think does think, she, she does think she does think this is, is the right thing now doesn't she, she do, it's it's her whole belief she does think that i mean you're right what you're saying there lynx she's got it her whole belief is this is the right way to go forward she has been searching for a cure something else to be able to uh put in place instead of the child but it hasn't worked whoever these ancestors of theirs were uh the, the They've created this machinery, and they've decided the only logical way, with the you know logical way, which if a perverse way you like to call it, is to put a child into the machinery, and then to be able to keep this society going. And this is a really advanced society. They're hundreds of years possibly in advance of whatever federation have got. Uh, the, all the planets that are in the federation. They've got more technology. More scientific advancements and more medical advancements than all these people uh, in the federation, and they—I think—whether this is all down to the fact that they use this machinery that they've got on the planet, which needs to be powered by a battery, and that battery happens to be a child. Right, it's the only way that they can continue. I'm
2: just saying that, like, it's—it's so insane. Um, right, okay. I feel like we might have got. We've, we, we've discussed this and we, we disagree, but we all agree that it's awful that a child is being used in the powering of this machine. Um, so there are a couple of other plot points uh, going on alongside all this. So we touched on Ahura and her time in security. Um, so uh, Laan does a sneaky sneaky and steals a load of data off a ship. Uh, nice to know that they're following the rules about as much as they normally do. Um, but then proceeds to ask Uhura to translate it all manually because she doesn't want it touching the official computer. So questions: um, Does this literally mean that Uhura is having to manually translate each and every one of these data chips? Because at which point I call bluff. Or does it simply mean that Uhura has to take like an independent bit, or like I don't know, an iPad that's not on the network? and use whatever is already installed on that to do some work to translate it and then figure out what's going on. Because I feel like we're about to turn her language skills into the magic solution to everything.
1: She doesn't have to translate uh, translate everything. She just needs to translate one of the tablets. And when she's translated that... She doesn't have access
2: to the language, though.
1: But this is why she's a linguist. This is why she's learned 37 languages. She knows how to do these things without a computer. She knows how to do this sort of thing. That's why La'Anne's gone to her, because she knows these sort of things. So she's getting uh, getting her to do the stuff a computer would normally do, and then be able to translate maybe one of the things. So she's got a biases to be able to then translate all the other um, tran- uh, types
3: that she's got there.
2: Does yeah. anybody else want to call Bill on this? Thank you, Albie.
3: Um, I, th- I, th- I think it's probably a bit of both, right? I think there's probably an element of take it off the grid and and figure this out um, which sort of makes sense but she also figures out doesn't she that it's related to the existing um, Magellan language so maybe that's her shortcut into actually translating it all because there is an existing language in the database so that's kind of my headcanon for it Um, but I think you're right I don't think she sat down there and with a pen and paper and figured it all out, I think she she had some assistance from some technology. It just wasn't the main computer
2: i i think I think for me that's really important because we've spoken before about the Hoshi Sato um Uhuru kind of um connection and the evolution of of the universal translation and things. and with Hoshi at least we we regularly saw her going, "I cannot do that." Like, I cannot just take an alien language I have never heard before and tell you exactly what they mean. Like, there are lots of painful scenes where she's sitting there going, maybe then, Maybe? She'll, like, pick out one word in A and be like, maybe? It sounds like it could be aggressive or it sounds like it could be a pronoun. I don't really know. Like, I think... I think I'm really keen for us not to go from what was quite carefully considered in some situations, at least in Enterprise, to a whole, yeah, but she speaks 37 African languages, so it's totally not all African, but like she speaks 37 languages and therefore she can obviously just translate anything you hand her on a pad, like I think that devalues the nature of that role and her skill, like she clearly has skills and I'm not taking those away, Um,
4: but yeah, Andrea. I think we all just need to like hang on to like movie Uhura reading Klingon from an actual physical book. <laughs> like really bad Klingon from an actual physical book and just, that that's just a little takeaway for everyone to enjoy today.
2: <laughs> very nicely put, very nicely put. Interestingly, so I have been a bit bristled about Lan in a couple of episodes. So it should be, it should be caveated that I really enjoyed uh, strange worlds more than I was expecting to but there are one or two things that I, I am grating and one of them is Lan and the fact that she's clearly an awful so, aw- awful officer and member of the crew quite regularly <laughs> um, but actually you know what she while she is demanding and outrageous in this episode she also clearly says no this was this was this person's work and they should get credit for that. Um, so she gets kudos for that she has you know she has enough kind of capacity i quite like those moments where somebody's figured something out and you have to pull pull the captain or whoever out of a situation where they're clearly snuggling up with someone to be like actually by the way they're clearly not telling us the truth by the by so having originally thought that the people who were attacking the shuttle with the holy child on it were like extended family or something i wasn't deeply surprised to discover that this was some kind of faction of uh, the population did anybody else w- was that was that a kind of mm-hmm. shock horror was that something we saw coming was that kind of classic
1: trek
4: yeah it seemed pretty nailed on that this was some kind of rescue attempt rather than like some act of terror
1: the the thing there as well though i initially thought he was a laura that was possibly trying to uh, rescue the child, because she comes across as quite a warm character. with the first and um, Elder Gamal comes across as a cold character, so maybe he was the one trying to, you know, make sure that the child does whatever he has to do. Whereas Alora, who, because we didn't know what was going on, but Alora comes across as a warm person, she's the one that's maybe trying to rescue the child from being um, abducted, abducted, or yeah, all the other way around. But yeah, so when the uh, later on in the episode when you realise uh Laura is like the zealot and Gamal is like the the one trying to do the rescue, it just sort of switches roles, and you're on it, and you think, oh, right, I like the way that the director and the writer planned it out. That you thought one thing, and it's only towards the end of the episode, it's the other way around.
2: Yeah, and perhaps they're also playing with gender norms there. Like you know, you know the the female leader is the the hard ass, and uh, the the doctor who happens to be male is is the one who, who thinks that they can't go through with this. Um, so the the kind of other strand of this is what goes on in sick bay, I think. Um, and obviously, so uh, for anybody who hasn't listened to our previous episode, uh, we spoke at some considerable length about uh, Doctor Mbenga and our issue with his daughter in the transporter who we weren't sure what well, either that we were ever going to care about again or what they were going to do with because we were concerned. We had many concerns. Um, our general feeling was every time he was on screen we were like, yeah, but he's got a daughter in the transporter. <laughs> um, and it's kind of weird and also one of the many secrets that this crew has that yeah, I have some issues with the level of secrecy and off-the-book operations going on in this group. Um, and number one solution, as somebody who is sort of an IT, makes literally no sense. Like, an independent power source is not what you need. What you need is, like, an, an entirely independent-running, kind of, uh, data bank that that this girl is saved in, because you need to be able to update the medical transporter even though... Anyway, never mind. Moving on! <laughs> um, so, That's in this
4: episode...
2: It, I know, I know. Every time. Um... In this episode, we heard more about this. It came out and we were like, oh, hello. So I, I was feeling vindicated in that that, uh, that that plot did come back again. How do we feel about this kind of significant, significantly medically advanced race who are able to basically, I think, cure anything from what I can tell?
3: Yes, they did
2: Albie, so. you have feelings.
3: I have feelings. I mean, I have feelings on the whole, you know, daughter in the transporter thing, but it sounds like you've covered that well at this point. I mean, what kind of father goes fishing when he's got a daughter stuck in the transporter? But, you know, um, uh, it felt quite convenient to me, if I'm honest. And the, the issue I have is that. They wouldn't intervene in the death of the child, but they'll happily take the medical information to help their child. So there's sort of like a bit of a a, a disconnect there that slightly bothered me. Lindsay.
2: The, the the this holy child has implants that will cure anything. I don't really get it. In the same way that number one is a superhero, I don't really get it. It's like we've now like if, if we have seen that, that number one is super strong and can heal and can also send out like psychic waves of shit to heal other people um it's just weird it's just kind of weird anyway sometimes we think about these things too much in star trek and it stops working sometimes you just have to accept things but yes i think particularly your point about this we will take your knowledge but we will not we will not get involved in your what we
1: would consider to be seriously dubious practices that bit where you're just saying there though they, they if it's offered freely like it was at the end it was offered by the doctor it wasn't you know a case question of uh where we're going to take it or anything but the fact that also they can't really go into conflict with a, fe- uh, a planet which is not part of the federation because uh, they have got no jurisdiction there if they did go into any anything they would then just cause a, a major all-out war why are you waving your hand go on go on linds two points two points
2: um so the first is that it's fully offered by an individual um, and arguably that's not the same as the state or the planet giving it. Roger got into lots of trouble with this in the past. Um, the other side of that coin is that he doesn't offer him the technology. He offers to talk him through some of the kind of basics of the science, which is maybe how you get around that. Um, the other piece is that you're in really dangerous territory. If we look at something that's happening in a country that we have no jurisdiction over, but, you know, they're For example, committing a genocide, do you just sit there and go, yeah, but we have no jurisdiction, so we'll just sit here and watch you kill whatever. Um, And arguably we have at some points in history, um, and often that has been wrong. I would argue probably always that has been wrong. Um, But equally our interventions have not always been right, which is where the challenge comes. Um, International conflicts are by their very nature about what's going on in other places. I think it's dangerous, because I think we have no right to judge the cultural norms of an, a culture we don't understand, except for when they're killing
1: children, maybe? It's complicated.
2: It is complicated. It's deeply complicated, and I certainly don't have the right answers. But I think we wade into dangerous territory when we say, oh yeah, but we can't interfere because they're not one of the Federation, so we just have to let them get over with it. Totally fine. Cardassia, not one of the Federation. I'll just let them get on with taking over Bajor and whatever else they fancy. It'll be fine.
1: But didn't Bajor... Actually, go back. did Bajor ask for help?
2: I suspect they probably did. I, can't, I am well, not the, the, the expert
1: on that. that you So the Federation would then get involved there, whereas this one, if there's nobody on the planet that wants help and they can't really interfere. Right. And they want uh, help because
2: they're killing the children in order to have a better
1: life.
4: Are anyway. they're just killing uh, one
1: child at a time?
4: Well that's okay. Yeah, it's not I, so like I think,
1: they're kidding millions of oh, they're just kidding one child.
4: I think
2: there is I think I think the point about the fact that children are living in difficult circumstances within and next to the Federation is totally valid. But I do think it is different when it is a case of willful ignorance, I think. So so within our society, for example, I think we're willful, willfully ignorant about what happened the, the situations that some children are forced to grow in to grow in. And if, for example, if you live in the UK, there was a huge Jubilee celebration. If we had taken Prince George and been like, Everybody do you love Prince George, never gonna lead him into a cave from which he will never return again, but suddenly the UK will be floating. 100 feet above the sea for the next however many years so it'll all be fine I think that's different I think the ceremonial kill or the ceremonial ascension slash dedication of a singular child is a slightly different situation and it is relevant and it is it as Andrea says it, it is a way for us to to see our own situations but I don't think they are directly directly uh, relatable I think we have covered all the major uh, plot threads of this episode. Um, However, what we do is we do a mop-up because invariably we will have things that we wanted to say that we haven't yet, or I will have forgotten to ask really important questions. Uh, So let us do our final thoughts.
4: Andrea? Um, I think I'm pretty much exhausted, but I have a feeling that Mugatan breeding stones are referenced in Lower Decks. um, And we get to um, experience more about that breeding um possibly less said the better there um but in terms of my easter eggs I, I don't think there were loads this week um i think nicking people off the transporter pad has always been a little bit of a thing um that wasn't something sort of that they've just invented it in a new sense um and I also found it quite amusing that Sam Kirk apparently is conflict averse. <laughs> Considering who he grew up with. Um maybe there's reasons for that. Um but I think that's me um me haven't exhausted me um my notes for this week. Excellent.
2: So Keith, would you like to empty your tank?
1: Oh good grief. We're playing trick this out bingo. Just in case
2: everybody is playing <laughs> So we will discuss this later, I suspect, but just in case anybody is playing, uh, try this uh, out, uh, bingo.
1: Uh, there's only a couple of things. Basically, they didn't give a first name to Ian Howell's character, the First Servant. They just kept calling him First Servant or the Child all the way through. It was never a name for him. Right, so uh, that was an interesting uh, way that they. Uh, for that child uh, I quite like the actor who played uh, Elder Gamal and I've recognised him because I've seen a show called Saving Help in the past and he was in a few seasons of that, Hussein Madavji and then I've got written down all five lessons out of the seven that was actually uh, mentioned on the episode, so you've got lesson one a regellan rig- Tiger will pounce without warning Lesson two, there are no breaks in security as threats never take breaks. Lesson three, let the Tricorder do the investigating. Lesson six, know when to bend the rules. Lesson seven, leave no stone unturned. Now, so lesson four and five were missing, so if anybody did pick up on that, please let me know. And um, I think that's it for me. Oh, not one more. Spock's brain. Didn't they use did somebody kidnap take uh, Spock's brain to power a whole planet? Is yes, just the same sort of thing?
4: Yes. Uh, to be honest, I, bit, I sort of, uh, that kind of went through my head and then I forgot about it, but you're totally right there, Sophie. Good, so. cool. good, cool, good, cool,
2: good, cool, good. Cool, Carry cool. on. I have never seen Spock's Brain, but I feel like that episode title should be short. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't <yeah, laughs> name the episode Spock's
4: I feel, Brain. I feel like watching Spock's Brain is like a rite of passage that you have to go through now, Lindsay.
2: I don't know. I don't know. Eventually we'll run out of like, contemporaneous Trek to review week by week and we'll go back to having to talk about random episodes and somebody can put that one in the mix. Um, I'll be sorry go ahead.
3: We didn't mention Pike's abysmal British accent when he uh, tried to uh, copy La in the Turbo Lift of the Horror which is funny. Uh, one thing that always bothers me about Trek is just we're out in the galaxy, yet we keep running into the same people all the time. Like, just, you know, the fact that Pike manages to save a shuttle with the same person on it, yet again, (laughs) um, seemed very fortuitous. And the other thing is, uh, I love Ortega's. I think she's awesome. Um, Felt like she was a bit more uh, professional this week on the quip front. Uh, A bit more, right, let's get down and do it. So I think maybe Pike's um, side eye that he was... Dolling out last week, um, maybe starting to pay off. Uh, but other than that, I think we've covered it all.
2: So just to build on what you said there, Albie, I think I don't think I ever thought that um, Elora was one of the good guys, but I did think that they had maybe m- manipulated the situation to capture the attention of Pike at some point. Like I think I, I definitely felt like. All the chat about how unlikely this was to happen naturally felt like it was building up to it. Oh, no, because we actually, you know, we did a thing. We knew you'd be passing by and we thought we'd get your attention. Yeah, apparently not. Um, so, yeah, I think other than that, we have covered all of my major thoughts as well, which is excellent. And um, so what we'll do is we are now going to have some feedback from our listeners before we, <gasps> there are four of us elect a red shirt and do our lights out of five so here is our listeners feedback So let's hear what you guys have to say about this episode. Um, we shall take it in turns to read such exciting things out. Uh, Albie, as our guest, would you like to start?
3: Uh, sure. So um, Steve Davis, who I believe is familiar to you all, um, has written, for the first time I had a meh feeling immediately after watching. I think it was the Picalora fling that put me off. What about his bedfellow back at Earth? Good question, we cover this. Uh, I didn't buy that Alora was such a significant person from his past. Anyways, now I've got over that, the episode has grown on me. I like the concept and Alora's challenge to us all, that if we think what we're doing is bad, of what they're doing is bad, sorry, what about the equivalence in our own worlds? I'm also interested in how Pike's actions, compared to what Kirk would have done, can't help but think James D. Kirk would have saved the child. And wouldn't that have been a different notion to consider? I still don't think enough has been done about Minnie and Benga in The Transporter. I can't get Carol from the British Empire out of my head. She keep, she kept her baby in a drawer. Um, slightly disturbing. Find <laughs> all that, I've had this episode in my head more than any other, so that says something good, I reckon. Four lights for me. Ban half points. They're cheating. Okay. <laughs> yes, well, I'll come back to that half points because I think I, I, I'll realise
1: what he's going, going on about there. But the thing is, I just realised how could Pike have been able to save that child? He only just realised what was happening right there and then, and then he tried could to have move...
2: just stormed in and saved the child. That's what he Kirk tried... would have done.
1: He tried well, to... Kirk, Kirk. would have might have been batted away like Pike was just there, and uh, he, he knocked out two guards and managed to get to as close as Gumbel before the third guard knocked him out. So he yeah, have But did him. Pike
2: even go back to the ship and go, Spock, I need you to find a way to scan for this child who we have because they've been through our transporter system and get them out well, of yeah, here? No, he, only, he did
1: not. He, he only realised what was going on right there and then in that chamber and there was no yeah, communication but he out. That, but
2: when he got back to the ship... But the
1: child was probably already dead by then. I you did, know, he's, all, he's already been inside the that? system,
4: being burnt alive. Oh, okay. Andrea... Can I just show a moment's respect there for that reference to the British Empire, which is possibly one of yes. the funniest things I think we've ever had on my like, like listener feedback, like respect. I like,
1: yeah, I like Chris Murray. British I
4: like Empi- Chris Murray. Falls into
2: the category So I spoke last week about my struggle with certain types of humour, which I can sometimes both enjoy and be unable of watching, incapable of watching the British Empire walked that line there are definitely bits of the british empire that i have to like mute and look away from the screen because they're just too cringy um, but i did recently watch a couple of episodes so that felt very timely per carol per carol's baby um right next up uh, andrea
4: so i've got tom turlow on twitter who says a real change of tone compared to last week It was an interesting and rather bold experiment, but I'm not sure it entirely worked. Ending the episode on such a downbeat note was quite brave, but I think I want my trek to be more positive and hopeful. And call me a soppy old bugger, but I'm never remotely comfortable with any fictional story where a child is tortured or dies. There should be another way. And what alien society would ever be based on such a premise? If you think about it for a second, it's just absurd." Pike is a sympathetic and warm character, but he's very much becoming kirk Light, embedding any available pretty alien, for instance. What happens when proper Kirk arrives next season will be interesting to explore. Once again, it looked great and it was an easy watch, but I think this has probably been my least favourite episode so far, three lights out of five.
2: I think it's really interesting that Tom's referring to him as kirk Light, and for me he was like, kirk Light up until recently. Um... Suki, if you're finished eating, because clearly we're interrupting whatever it's Shh shh shh
1: quite quite anyway, I've got blue cat. I thought it was a great examination of religion and its place in society. I love the little actor very much. Howe is a young, terrific young actor. So many youths are sacrificed on the altar of human religion. Speak to any gay survivor of Christian fundamentalism. Fundamentalism. And this stubborn adherence in a very advanced society to such outdated, nay crazy beliefs is perfectly in keeping with most modern religion. The downbeat ending was suitable, but didn't leave me with the zippy great feeling I got from the other episodes. There was one spot of hope given us by the Father and Doctor and Benga, and I was super helpful when they found the boy in the cargo container. Alas, it was not to be. One can see why this civilization stays apart from all others. The downbeat ending very much fit. Three and a half out of five. Cheers for that, Kat.
2: It's yeah, so I have. Um, a quick thought from Jake Kelly. He says Pike was full of righteous indignation, which is is sort of true. <laughs> but I, yeah, I didn't think it landed. But that's maybe just me. It'll be.
3: Um, I have Darren Pickles. Um, this week we had an excellent, thought-provoking episode. I did not see the ending coming. I thought that the boy would turn into an energy being, like in the TNG episode, Transfigurations, and that would help the planet. It was quite a shocking and horrible Black Mirror type ending. Although I did like Pike's reaction to his would-be, but now most definitely not, girlfriend, uh, Alora, who thought that he would be okay with the situation with the First Servant and continue their relationship. It was very interesting to see Pike fail in his mission. But after that horrific ending, there was hope for finding a cure for Dr. Mbenga's daughter. Four and a half lights out of five.
4: So I've got um, the other half of our dynamic duo from the uh, the Davis family flyers, Sarah, who says this episode was a bit of a mishmash of previously done plots. Small child sacrifice for the greater good. Um, in practice we've got Snowpiercer there. Alien technology which will solve a major problem for the Federation but is withheld by said aliens, so Voyager, and Space Transporter, and a morally ambiguously guest who woos the leading man. Having said this, I did enjoy the episode. I thought the plot line around the first servant was well played out and thought-provoking, although it made my noodle hurt a bit after a busy week at work. I did suspect that something was off about Alora and Elder Gamal, but I got them the wrong way... The, I got them round the wrong way. I thought Alora had staged the attack, but Gamal was eager for ascension. I wouldn't, couldn't work out why Alora wanted Pike to witness the ceremony. Was she genuinely proud of what they had achieved and thought he would be impressed? Was she hoping he would stay, so I wanted him to know about their culture? I'm enjoying Ahura's rotation around the department. I like how significant her role is in each episode. 3.5 lights. Uh, P.S. Steve is wrong about a half point. No. <laughs>
1: i have a feeling because i did send a message out to the pair them, get some of your reviews reviews in and said it must have done 3.5 and they must have had a little tip for tat mm-hmm. and that's why he's put it at the beginning at the end of his message and she's put this at the end of her message i don't want to see what the the atmosphere is like in their household mm-hmm. tonight so we've now got a day from the doctor who show and he says wow just wow The original series wonder meets ds9 morality and i love it trek is is at its best when out there exploring strange new worlds and this certainly was the case here a world beautiful and different to look at but also so different in culture when i saw the medallion i thought it looked like an aztec design and from then on I suspected we might be looking at a perfect victim scenario i'm really glad that didn't pull the punch there are five lights cheers for that dave
2: so I have uh, the lovely Jack McMorrow. Hello, Jack. Uh, we are now just over halfway through the season. I know I'll miss this show. I'm already up for the remainder and, of course, season two. Firstly, if pushed, I'd say Voyager is my favourite Star Trek, but I suspect most episodes and Enterprise 2 had their title decided in the time it takes to eat a sandwich. Ah, oh, shocking. I personally love that all of Kurtzman era Trek has gone back to the more poetry-length titles. Lan, Nune and Singh Seems to be the sort of teacher who looks to flunk a student if they do not immediately learn at the speed the teacher dictates themselves. I have a master's degree in history. There were a few of them all the way through. Vast vast minority, I hope. Very pleased overall with this episode, although it did make me wonder, isn't this an extremely blatant case of Pike nearly violating the Prime Directive? Captain Pike is understandably very outraged by the Magellan species being powered by sacrificing a child to further their society. I find it difficult to believe that star- a Starfleet captain wouldn't have the Prime Directive occur to them. It's only just been named the Prime Directive, hasn't it, like at the start of this season? But we shall come back to this in two seconds. Um, however, his choosing a quick beam out after confronting his former lover Alora about it and then raising some salient broad points may be my answer. Pike is outraged but sees not only the importance of the prime directive and the value of it, he also sees how it allows him to deal with the situation without violating it, i.e., by quickly leaving. Overall, a very character-focused episode rather than this week's action-oriented Obi-Wan Kenobi. Don't worry, no spoilers for it, although I practically love for Anton Mount supporting Moses Ingro. A very enjoyable morality episode with something to say. For Pike quiffs out of funny. So Jack goes on to say, the next episode drops for me on Friday, if anything. It's just too illegal if anyone uh, from the Columbia Broadcasting System is watching. Uh, Next Friday is also my birthday, so thank you for that, CBS. Although I might blow your mind, once you get past North America, there are still other countries to market to, shocker, and treat as good. This is my 60th review for the Trekless side podcast. That can't be possible because we can't possibly have had 60 episodes. You are lying to us. We it's, totally have. It, we have. We're are. Sh- up to about
1: 100.
2: We're too young for such things. Oh, I think it's safe yeah. to say that the, uh, that the time me and my friend Sandra were looking for a place to sit and eat our tea in Birmingham Hotel at Destination Star Trek in 2018 and decided to knit ne- decided to sit next to someone with a cutout of Jason Isaacs. Turns out it was the awesome Andrea. He's off very well. Well, thank you so much, Jack, for your continued support. Andrea, you had a point you were waving at me while I was trying to read.
4: Um, I've got to remember what it is now. I was going to say, does the Prime Directive apply? Because these are clearly a more technologically advanced civilization than the Federation in some aspects. So I always thought Prime Directive only applied... To people who were, were sort of not warp capable civilizations, so that was my um, that was my pedant of the week award.
3: <laughs>
4: Jack
1: I does say something else.
2: oh He does. Just, yeah. Oh, yes, he does. Apologies. I I blame the the poor editing of the comments by our master suki. Jack goes on to say, watched it again. It resonates so much that the alien society sacrificed one of their most vulnerable members to live in somewhat luxury. It's not too far removed from the situation at the moment where massive sacrifices are made and even people are completely written off in the name of a somewhat regular life. Thank you, Jack.
1: So uh, this one, uh, which Albie's going to read out, is from Doc Who from the Diddly Dum podcast. So over to you, Albie. Uh,
3: I tried episode one of Strange New Worlds. Then just in case it was teething troubles, I tried episode two. I stopped watching after the first five minutes. I could have handled Captain Pike's extraordinary quiz, but strangely, World seems to follow the style of most Star Trek output of the last few years, in that it shows us a Starfleet which is staffed almost entirely by goofy morons who respond to moments of near disaster or great tra- tragedy, not with, you cannot change the laws of physics, or he's dead, Jim, but with, I'm mad, I am. It started with the likes of the frizzy ginger girl, Tilly, in brackets with a question mark, on Discovery. When the universe is going to hell in a hanker and you're trying to save the ship from imminent disaster, how would you seriously react to someone on the bridge goofing around? Throw her off the bridge or all turn to the camera and smile indulgently? Then it seemed to continue in Picard, perhaps in an attempt to distract us from a lead character with laryngitis. Now it's all over strange new worlds, Uhura and Nurse Chapel being the worst so far. Call me when the attempts at humor return, at least vaguely, in the direction of the sardonic. How much hair gel do you humans carry on your starships? Don't tell him, Pike.
4: Oh, <laughs> fan of the show, then. <laughs> yeah, no,
3: yeah I, I think we
2: can be, No, clearly not. And probably also not listening to the podcast. So I think we can rightly really no, say that no. we strongly
1: disagree. Now, Steve, Steve's a good lad. Uh, Doc Oom, I should say. Doc Oom's a good lad. Um, but I asked him to uh, just watch the episodes. And he's not a fan of the episodes, but he did. I said, just send me a quick review. And he sent me this. Uh, um, but, and I said, I'll read it out. So he tidied it up and just sent me this. I quite like the fact that he did put uh, a Dad's Army reference right at the end. I'll tell him Pike. I would argue that
2: anybody who thinks that the the dad's army humor is better than what we currently get in Star Trek. Is, is, is oh, is, is dad's army is class. I am
1: going to argue with the case. Dad's army is class. That's why it's still on the telly, being repeated fifty years after. It's we still saw on the, the telly,
2: being repeated because it's being watched by people of a certain age who don't subscribe to Netflix yet. However,
1: let's move <laughs> on. Okay, so we got Deb. And uh, she says, well, that was an interesting episode. Pike meets the love of his life and finds she's a manipulative, self-serving, psychopathic monster. I mean, who hasn't had that happen to them?" I checked Wikipedia and apparently somebody, someone a- married actual Priti Patel. Okay, um, The poor first servant seemed to be a good lad. So sad that he had to sacrifice himself in order to fulfil his de- destiny. I mean, couldn't he have just had tea with Paddington Bear? That would have made me and Lindsay happy, so I it would have worked. But the comforts of the seemingly perfect society we find is dependent on the life of this child. Laura had the cheek to say Federation, our society, also exploited children. How dare she, as I type on my iPad and see my trainers in the corner of the room. Anyway, I need to point out that the child actor was Ian Hull, and he was recently in Good Sam with Jason Isaacs. Uh, R.I.P. Good Sam, by the way. Uh, while I thought that was interesting, uh, Uhura see, still seems to be excelling in her work experience. Nice to see the character is much more capable than saying hailing frequencies open, Captain. I was extremely interested to see that Pike actually gets to have sex with his clothes on. Maybe the decree that all staff officers should romance in uniform skip the Enterprise years. I'll rephrase that par- paragraph. I was extremely interested to see Pike with his clothes on. Also, he had butted the guard. Way to go. So, nice episode. It wasn't such a surprise twist that the Perfect Society wasn't so great, given it looked like Pontmerian. I was waiting to see the weather balloon and golf buggies. Lots of character story development, and interestingly, the most we have seen of Pike since the first episode. Four Pike headbutts out of five. That's our Deb. Cheers for that, Deb. And we've also got some audio feedback from Steve Hatcher, and here it is now.
0: So, episode six, Lift Us Up Where Suffering Cannot Reach. Never a good sign when a Star Trek episode has a pretentious title. Well, anyway, on a routine cartographic survey mission in the Magellan system on the edge of Federation space, a place Pike previously visited ten years earlier, The Enterprise responds to a distress call from a shuttle which is being attacked by an unidentified vessel. Although clearly outgunned, the vessel turns its fire on the Enterprise. In an attempt to disarm the attackers, Cadet Ahura, now an attachment to security, inadvertently shoots the vessel down. Beaming the survivors of the shuttle aboard, Pike is astounded to be confronted with Alora, Lindy Booth, an old girlfriend of his, escorting Aldegamo, Who's Majavi and his son, the first servant. The boy, who has suffered a mild head injury, is on his way to ascend to the throne of the planet Majalis in a ceremony apparently vital to the future of the planet. Alora explains that the ship that attacked them was from an alien colony, determined to kidnap the boy. Uh, Gamal explains he was formerly a doctor, and using secret Magellan technology, he cures his son's injuries. Dr Mbenga's eyes light up at this, particularly when he discovers that this technology could cure any injury or disease, including that of his daughter in the transporter. But Gamal explains it's forbidden to share its secrets with aliens. Don't! As Pike and Allora rekindle their romance. I'm sorry, I'm finding the name Allora difficult, because Allora in Italian means, well then, and I can't get that out of my mind every time I come across that name. Try and put that aside. As Pike and Allora rekindle their romance, an investigation of the crashed ship, together with the behaviour of Gamal, suggests that the captain may not have been told the entire truth, a fact confirmed when Chris is invited to attend the ascension ceremony to his horror. Well, I suppose the consistent run of excellent episodes that has launched Star Trek Strange New Worlds had to come to an end sometime, and here, as we arrive at the sixth episode, we sadly come to an instalment that is no more than average. Lift Us Up Where Suffering Cannot Reach presents us with rather dull, mostly brown-skinned aliens with slightly bumpy faces, dressed in what looks like traditional Indian dress, behaving in a generally duplicitous manner. The ending, in which the planned fate of the tedious genius child is revealed, could be seen coming a mile off. Yes, if this were Kirk, Picard or Janeway in charge, I'm sure that all would have been resolved to everyone's satisfaction, and everyone would have have gone home happily at the end, and at least we don't get that sort of trite happy ending. But even so, it's all horribly predictable. This is by no means a bad episode, having said that, but by the standards of the first five episodes of the season, it's decidedly ordinary. I remain hopeful this is a blip, and that things will return to normal next week.
1: Thank you for that, Steve.
2: So I think that is the last of our reviews for this week. Um, we are always keen to hear your thoughts, even if we disagree with them. So do please uh, let us know your thoughts on the next episode when you are able to watch it. Um, so before we go to everybody's favourite part, which is where we get to all critique each other and a slight or uh, let's have our lights out of five.
0: How many lights you see? There are four lights! I asked how many lights you see.
2: Uh, so, Andrea, what is your lights out of five for this particular episode?
4: Well, I would say that I've been marking extremely high for the other five. so But I'm still going to give it a four because I still really enjoyed it. Just it didn't quite hit the kind of peaks of some of the other episodes, but I'm still going to give it a four. Okay, Suki? Okay. Yes, uh,
1: I enjoyed the episode but the way he was portrayed and the conflict within it it sort of brought me down a bit. So I'm going to go three and a half, actually, with half points. Sorry, Steve.
2: Okay. Um, We'll save Albie for last, because he is our honoured guest. Um, I, I really struggled with this one, and it was interesting hearing what other people thought of the analogies. I just didn't think it was as sound as it Who'd have been. Um, I'm not beyond seeing that organised religion absolutely tortures many members of our society and we should be open and critical of that. But it's usually for something that is like this, uh, and it's something about their nature. Um, and this was just a random child that was chosen at random. So, anyway, um, I I didn't love this episode. I'm going to give it two out of five.
3: Um, yeah, so I
2: was. Uh,
3: so I think kudos to New Worlds for trying something different. I think all the other episodes have relied a lot on existing um, Star Trek canon. So this was like a proper, you know, something we hadn't seen before. And I liked that. Um, I didn't, I wasn't comfortable with the ending, but that doesn't mean it was a bad ending, Um, and I did find myself thinking about this episode a lot after I watched it. So with that in mind, I actually think in terms of a thought-provoking sort of morality tale or or lack of morality, whichever way you go for it, um, I'm going to be fairly favourable, give it a four.
2: That's absolutely fine. So the general rule of thumb is if there are four or more of us on the podcast, Then, before the end of the episode, we get to select the host who has been the most outrageous, the most unreasonable, the most inconvenient, or generally the most, I don't know, something. Um, And we elect them red shirt and choose how we are going to kill them. um, Because we're fun like that on Trek This Side.
1: I woke up this morning, put on my red shirt.
2: So, uh, Andrea, it's lovely to have you back. Who would you like to kill?
4: Do you know what? I feel like my mission is because Suki really wants to be the red shirt. Um, it's so
2: almost I, like he learned from someone else, isn't it? I know.
4: It feels like a Bob move. So, I'm going to nominate you, Lindsay, purely to prevent suki from becoming red shirt i feel like it's a moment of female solidarity as the generic female host on this podcast i feel like he's not getting his own way today terrible thank you i think it uh, would you like
2: to so it's it's just because you don't want to give it to suki or have i done anything in particular that you would like to pin this on
4: no but you did call Pike kirk several times so if i have to give a reason <laughs> To justify myself, I'm going to give that one. But really, it's just so Suki can't be red shirt because he really wants to be red shirt. So it's not happening. <laughs> uh,
2: Suki, who would you like to nominate as this week's
4: red shirt? So I've got
1: two of you on the podcast. I mean, I, I had to pick some reasons. i be for backing Lindsay on the translated chips. And You know, you could have taken Mosside on that and just let her, you know, just forget, you know, she Sometimes she can be wrong, and you didn't have to back her up. She couldn't just back me up, but you didn't. You backed her up. Now, the other one was Lindsay, because she commented on the poor editing skills of my sending messages. You know, it had my problem, Jack, in such a, such a certain way. I couldn't put his name in and the comments, so there's that. But I'm actually going to nominate my missus now for bringing in. Apple pie and custard. When in the middle of a in the podcast, on there burning my fingers, with hot custard in my hand. So I'm, gonna, I'm trying. I'm going to nominate my missus. Is, is there any objection? No. No. There you go. My missus. It should be noted
2: that we have in in the past nominated cats and people who are not present. <laughs> this is not the first time that this is happening. Uh, Albie, how how are you feeling about? Your your first experience on Trekusite. Out?
3: Uh, it's made have a lot of fun, but I'm also gonna nominate Suki's missus because she didn't bring the rest of us <laughs> the and I'm bloody hungry. So uh, I'll too late for that because I've
1: just finished this
3: off. So it's gone.
2: Uh, okay. Um, I I I come okay with that. I I would quite like quite have liked apple pie too. So I think I I will I, I will happily jump on the the, bandw- on. the bandwagon and critique Siki's wife, bless her, <laughs> for not somehow magically inventing a transporter and sending us all hot apple pie halfway through the show. <laughs> so I think I think I I think because she's not here to defend herself, we should be kind. And I think maybe we should just put her in the transporter and like leave her there. And so you know. A point in the future yeah. where either, you know, something something happens or, you know, she turns into an apple pie. Uh, Suki?
1: I, you can put her in the transport buffer by all means, because I can then bring her out for occasionally making my meals, washing my clothes, uh, making sure the kids are okay, uh, cleaning the car, washing up, uh
4: Feel
2: like, uh, Andrew,
4: you have oh. I, feel, I feel like well, I you I might be
2: trying well, harder to become well, a red shirt
4: I, I than ever before. Like oh. even, even Bob didn't sink to those depths of desperation to be red shirt. <laughs> so I feel like you're really, like selling yourself short here. Like it's no, no, like no, we've already, already charged up on Missus.
1: <laughs> we've already charged Missus. Oh bless. It would be peaceful and quiet if she's in the transfer buffer.
4: <sighs> See, of he's trying, it's trying hard. so hard.
3: Of course, if you read author, you'll be like, you know, Moriarty and um, his missus and they go off into the transporter or into the holodeck together. So maybe you should go into the transporter buffer with her and keep her company. No. <laughs> no.
2: I think I think that would be good because then we could just take them out for editing purposes. <laughs> like we could just take All them right. out so that you could like edit our stuff and I'll like manage our Twitter
3: feed. Why like, did I bring you on? I, I, I will know. point out that I did back you up though as well, Suki, if you remember. Over. Yeah, I
2: was wrong earlier in the, in the thing. Yeah,
1: I was I know, indeed wrong. I need, I need an excuse, you see, to pick somebody.
2: Okay, so uh, Suki's wife and possibly also Suki are going into the transporter buffer
1: until some Kicking point and screaming in the future. I'll be going in there. Kicking and screaming.
2: That's no, okay, because you'll be in the transporter buffer and we'll not hear you. Nobody can hear you scream in the transporter
4: buffer. She is.
1: Um,
4: you. You're very welcome. Um, I, I, I want to stop the presses because as many of you know who follow this podcast and various other things um i am trying to convert somebody slowly into becoming a trackie Um, and today's lesson was about the different iterations of spock um and they said should I grow some Spock eyebrows? And I said, No, you're way more kirk than Spock. And they said, Are you commenting on my waistline or my capacity to fight the gone? Um so I feel like yet again we've made another step of progress in in terms of assimilation. So hats off. I'm not well, sure it's if it's a compliment or an insult either. Um, it was just a general life observation, but yeah. So I I, f- I feel like I've I've made solid progress in this department. So if anyone's rooting for us to just turn someone into a Trekkie, I feel like I am making progress.
2: <laughs> maybe you should suggest Star Trek sideburns rather than Star Trek eyebrows. So I feel like those are maybe a bit yeah. more sustainable. Yeah. Well, um, before we say goodbye, be if people are loving your chat, where can they find you on the interwebs?
3: uh primarily on twitter actually um and i'm at albert hogan there
2: thank you so much Um, and as ever you can find us at trick this out pod Uh, come say hello ask us ridiculous questions we support all things
4: andrea can i shamelessly like plug my um current series of strange new world's portraits which are being posted quite frequently on twitter um i'm i'm, I'm making it i'm going to try and do everybody um i've done spock this week um but there's also um i've done pike i've done number one i've done lan i've done Hemmer, which bruce Horwick was really really nice about so if if you just please check out the fan art because i'm i'm going to do the whole shebang just okay. in case anybody
2: doesn't know where to find you, where can they find you, Andrew? Um at vintage
4: 1983 V on Twitter, um, um Vin of the Basement on Instagram.
1: All, so all our details, all our details are on the show notes for each episode that's released. So just look at the show notes and you'll see all our details. Far too on.
2: sensible. Far too yeah. sensible. Uh, okay, well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of all of this nonsense. Um, It's been lovely to have you and we look forward to hearing from you you for next week. Uh, And it is goodbye from me and goodbye from all of
1: my lovely hosts, co-hosts. Bye! 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 Bye!
2: Bye! Bye! Bye!
0: We picked up a distress signal in a nearby asteroid field. Could the colonists have the capacity to send one, even without their ships? It's possible,
3: but I've also heard of pirates setting ambushes by cloning ship signals.
0: Exactly what I told the captain. And I reminded Mr. Spock that regulation still strongly suggests that we investigate any distress signal. Yellow alert. Erica, take us closer, please. How close do you want to get, first date or third date? Blind date. Coffee. Proceeding with caution, sir. The signal is growing stronger, but I have yet to detect a vessel of any kind. Red alert, full stop
2: like a net. Except, you know, made of lasers.
0: It's formed by multiple asteroids equipped with high-energy electromagnetic reflectors. Recommend we do not cross one of the beams. What happens when we do? At best, we'll shut down the ship. And at worst? Kaboom. Indeed. We should avoid the laser.